welcome to another episode of Office Hours, where we're teaching you the things they don't teach you in the classroom about how to deliver a personal experience to your prospects and customers. Today's episode has me super fired up because we're going to take a more meta route with this episode and take this special guests expertise and structure our episode using their framework. So I am so pumped, so jazzed to have my former colleague and bud from my days at HubSpot, our days at HubSpot, which have since both passed for both of us, Marcus, who is now the director of product marketing at Pendo. Marcus, thank you so much for joining me for an episode. It's good to be here, MK. And it's really nice to see you and chat again. It has been way too long. It has been way too long. Any major life updates since the last time we crossed paths? Anything exciting happen on your end? I'm a dad now. I don't think I was a dad back in um, um, when we last worked together, probably. I mean, it's gone. 2020 is such a blur. But at the end of 2019, um, wife and I had a son. So uh, I got a little like one and a half year old. Yeah. That's so awesome. You're a dad now. That's huge. Congrats. <laughs> what's, and yeah. what's your son's name? Uh, Emmett. Emmett. So I imagine that Emmett in your five to nine, you know, when you hang up your product marketing hat keeps you and your wife very busy. He does. Yeah. You know, we are still uh, like in lockdown and everything. So there's not too much to do other than just uh, hang out and play with the baby. And um, it's great. He keeps us very entertained and uh, you know, he grows so fast and does is constantly doing interesting things that uh, yeah, he's a lot of fun. We spend most of our energy um with him when we're yeah not working and doing other stuff. That is so cute. Well, congratulations to you and your wife on the new addition to the fam. Um, so in addition to being a dad and being this powerhouse of a product marketer, <laughs> what are the other things in your five to nine that help define you as the individual that you are? And I hope it has something to do with the two pictures on <laughs> either side of your shoulders. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I, I have a lot of hobbies, you know, I feel like, um, uh, I don't, I, at one point I was like, I know a lot of people don't always have a lot of hobbies, but I think they kind of take it too seriously. You know, this is my, this is, a, this is my theory that when people think they have to have a hobby, they like have to be good at it. Like, I'm not good at any of my hobbies and I'm like, and I'm really okay with it. You know, like I just, I, I kind of like it. And so, um, I've had, I've had a really nice, as of recording this, I haven't started at Pendo yet, but I will be probably by the time it airs. Um, I've had this really nice break and it's just allowed me to do all these things that I really love to do that, like, you know, all these hobbies that I'm not really good at. So like, um, uh, the, I'm a little, whoops, over here, I'm a little obsessed with basketball. So, you know, I love like Larry Bird, especially, um, but Larry and Magic, this is Larry and Magic Johnson. They sort of like um, revitalized the league back in the seventies and, uh, or sorry, eighties. And um uh, I love basketball. I love reading about basketball. I've watched a lot of basketball. I watched a lot of basketball in the bubble and then now, and I like, I've been to the Sloan sports analytics conference. And so I love like, you know, uh, data journalism and, and trying to understand basketball. I'm not good at it. You know, it's just a hobby. It's just for fun. I've, you know, I've got a guitar over here that I've been playing. I see you got the acoustic guitar too. That's been like a fun analog hobby, uh, where you're not on your phone or like staring at a screen, um, and the baby's kind of into that too. So that's been fun. This is my parents are artists. This is actually something my stepdad did. He does these like um, line uh, paintings, which he has a ton of. So, and then right below that, there's more, most of this like junk in my basement here is like art from my parents, just because um, it's all really amazing and I want to keep it all, but it's like, there's no place to put it. So um, 
yeah, those are some, some stuff, but yeah, just like, you know, watching movies, reading, trying to get outside and, and bike and, uh, you know, just mix it up is, is what I've really been doing is what I really try to do when I'm not hanging out with the kid or, um, uh, working. You know, I think what's so interesting too, I didn't know that about you, especially also about your, your parents and your background, that it sounds like you've grown up with design and art just kind of always infused in your life. How do you feel like that has helped define, especially what you have done for the space of product marketing with narrative design to either observe art or deconstruct art and how that's influenced your career? Yeah, I think, um, uh, it has been influential. I think a lot, probably not a lot of people uh, have parents who are artists and they like get into business. I think it's like, it's hard, right? Because if your parents, my parents are artists and like my, my dad made stained glass windows and he did that for 25 years and um, made a little business out of it. And my mom has always been kind of an artist and then like had like some jobs and that sort of thing. But I think it's challenging because you do have to learn stuff that uh, maybe some other people don't. Uh, but the things that are beneficial from it are that, you know, creativity and maybe thinking outside the box a little bit just come easier to you than um, potentially, uh, you know, people who don't, who haven't, who didn't grow up or around that, you know, so I think, um, uh, you know, my parents are totally weird and totally great. And, you know, everybody's parents are weird and great, right? But uh, uh, it definitely gives me, I think, a leg up when it comes to um, uh, creative thinking. And then also just like, you know, I'm, I'm much stronger in the, like the creativity, writing, storytelling, um, you know, ideas side of things versus like, you know, my, my, my wife is, uh, um, way she's, um, she works in finance and, you know, she's way more on like the, uh, more kind of, um, type A organized data and analytics sort of the world. Right. So if that's a spectrum, I'm way more on one side. So totally stories and, um, thinking creativity, create creatively is sort of like a lot of how I view the world. So, you know, I think everybody kind of learns through stories and thinks through stories, but like, I love stories. I love games. Um, and I think that really comes through in the, in the narrative design work for sure. Yeah. Well, and that's one of the things that's like that storytelling and using narrative design has been like your, your marquee contribution uh, to the space of product marketing. And I want to thank you for that because when I go out there into the abyss of the interwebs, the marketing and the quality of marketing has diminished so much over the last like 10, 20 years. And in the rise of like high transactional selling, high velocity selling and marketing as a result of that, I think it's kind of depreciated the quality of like marketing and thought provoking marketing over, over the years. And, and so what I'm craving now more and what obviously the series is out to set out is how to create marketing that actually addresses and slows down the highly transactional nature of selling and, and uh, sorry, and, and marketing and builds it into something that's a little bit more relatable, that, that it's more one-to-one. -one. But when we, when you think about like how we got ourselves to this place where high volume, like transactional selling and transactional marketing, like what are some of the, the, the flaws you have seen evolve in this space because we've been given so much technology, maybe too quickly? Yeah, I think that's a big part of it. I mean, you know, marketing, like I mean, software has really eaten the world in the last 10 years, right? So like it was last 20, like 15 years now, I guess. So uh, there's a software for everything. There's automation for everything. And so all of these things that we used to have to do manually, like 
um, really everything, like even copywriting, you know, now there's spell check and like uh, Grammarly and the Hemingway app. And it's like, can that be automated? But I mean, like email creation is automated, ads are automated, like all, all of these, there's all of this automation in marketing and it's great. It's really good because it turns, it takes the job from like, you know, like a tactical, um, like I clock in, clock out kind of like manual labor to way more strategic work, which is awesome. But I think the problem is, is that it's just, we've, we've gone overboard with what we can automate um, and what and not, really nothing's automated anymore or so nothing's not automated anymore. So uh, is automation I think is common kind of been really popular and in vogue, like data and automation has really taken a lot of personality out of a lot of um, companies, unfortunately. And it's also just really, really easy to do. And so I think when people think like, hey, what's good marketing? It's like, I'm going to build a machine that consistently generates leads for my business. And it's, you know, it's predictable. Um, it's consistent. It works. And that's really important to do because you have to grow your company. But um, that process, I think, has just been like, this is, this is marketing. Like, this is marketing. We go and like, we create our offer and that leads to a landing page. And then, and then that's in like, and that's it. And mm -hmm. it, uh, has turned the marketing landscape, especially in B2B software, which is what, you know, like I work in, um, into really, really boring, uh, really, really cookie cutter, really, really kind of impersonal. Um, and there's so much competition. It's also gotten really easy to like, you know, start a business and spin up a business. It's gotten easy to learn how to build this machine. And so all of a sudden, any space, any category, regardless of what it is, has, you know, hundreds of options who are all good at marketing, who all look the same, who are all like shouting the same thing. And like, you know, buyers and regular people, they're like, how do I deal with this? Like, what the fuck, you know, like, oh my gosh, this is overwhelming. Like, where do, like, where do I go? And they're really, really, you know, they're, they're desperate for some personality. And so I think that even the littlest things that companies do that are like personal or have some personality or like slightly more human or people are like, whoa, that's crazy. That's really good marketing. Because uh, that's kind of the state we're in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so like the, the barrier to entry to differentiate yourself is as simple as just be human. <laughs> and yet marketers yeah. who are, you know, they, they have the tech bloat, they have all the autom automation at their disposal, you know, can't get out from underneath all the, the machinery, to your point, like the machinery, the assembly line that they have created in their own marketing engine to take a step aside and look at like, how do I inject those moments of one-to-one -one interactions on a human-to-human -human level to actually differentiate, to make my product offering, to make my company stand out. So like when you look at the approach you've taken with narrative design, especially in how you've evolved the field, when it, like what, what are you seeing when it comes from marketers who are now taking that, that the time to look and reflect on the story, the narrative that they're designing as they're evolving the space and orienting folks to their product? Yeah, so the, I, I think there's sort of this moment where um, you're either starting a company, I guess, it's, I guess it's just consistently when you're starting a company, it's like, look, we've created some technology, um, we have some traction, we're starting to get users and uh, you position your, it's positioning, you put yourself into a category. And so it's mm -hmm. like, all right, we are, um, you know, like sales automation software. And so if we're sales automation software, that means we need to tell 
our buyers that they're going to save time and do it. Like it's you, they look, it's most companies when they're young, they come in, they say, we have X software. We're in this category. That means that we have this value prop to this audience. And they just like, they adopt the status quo and they don't take the time to say like, Hmm, can we actually do something different here? Can we take control of our narrative, our story, uh, instead of just adopting what's out there in the market, what everybody already thinks about, you know, whatever industry or whatever software you're in, what if you stopped? What if you said, we're going to write our own narrative, we're going to create our own story. It's going to be, you know, it's the same technology. It's not bullshit. It's, it's still the, it's still in, in that category. We're not creating a new category, but we're going to come up with our own way of thinking about this. And that moment where you kind of stop and have that realization um, and start to think radically different and not just adopt the status quo of what's out there in your space. That's sort of that thing that people don't do. Um, and it's silly because uh, you know, the companies that do do this, um, they really stand out. And it's like, you know, these customers, people are so hungry for any differentiation. When they do do that, it's a competitive advantage because when everybody looks the same, if you look different, like you're going to, you're going to stand out. Um, But yeah, there's sort of that moment where it's like, you don't have to adopt the status quo. You can think differently about this. You can take hold of your story. Um, And that's really what narrative design is. And it's important to have like a process and a system for that. Uh, because storytelling is one of those things where it's very subjective and, you know, you can tell a great story and people can be all over the place. Some people could love it. Some people could hate it. Uh, some people could just totally not understand it. And that usually happens internally before it happens externally. And if it happens internally, your story is going to get blown up. It's going to get watered down. It's going to change. It's not going to be interesting. And, you know, that also happens. So I forget the question. I'm often no man's land here on tangent, but yeah. You're good. No, 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 you're, you're, you're good. I think one of the things that, that really resonated with me too is like um, getting folks to understand how to take that first step with this approach. Um, and as I'm hearing you describing it, I'm almost seeing this like from the perspective of someone almost removing themselves from their organization and looking at their organization from the outside looking in instead of from the inside looking out. And somewhere in the middle between both of those points of view, you'll be able to understand what the reality is of of the perspective on your company or how you're positioning yourself or how your narrative is actually starting to be perceived. And then where you need to start evolving audiences into the narrative and strategic narrative that you want to deploy. But that's not, that's not easy. Like that's a hard thing to do, especially if the machine is like, continuously like getting faster and faster and faster that you've built for, for your demand generation engine. Totally. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's really hard and it's important that, yeah, that's why it's, that's why it's helpful to have a framework and a system and to have an approach to it. Um, because you can, you can just simply educate people on the approach. And like, I think the thing that's unique about my point of view here is that like, I'm a product marketer. I think product marketing should own this. And so you try to figure out ways to like, uh, give product marketing, give the product marketers at a company something that they can then, you know, have the CMO believe in, have the CEO believe in. Um, because when it becomes part of like the DNA of the company, and it definitely was at HubSpot, so it was easy and it was like easy to understand. Um, and Halligan taught me a ton of like, you know, working with him on Service Hub was is how I learned a lot of this. Um, when it's part of the way that everybody thinks, then these stories can actually break through internally. Um, but yeah, it's super hard. I think taking that step back 
is really important. Thinking about it from the outside in is also really important. I think every company is simply, every company is really just like a device to help an audience adapt to a change in the world. You know, mm-hmm. it's like, what is, what is your company trying to do? You're trying to help people adapt to something, to some kind of change that's happened in the world. Um, and so I think that's the easiest way to think about it. When you stop thinking about like, cause you could say like, all right, outside in, I'm going to think about like, oh, what is the problem that my customers have? And then I'm going to come up with a really strong value prop about why my business or product solves for that. That's really what everybody in product marketing is doing. Um, and it's outside in, but when you, when you think about it even differently and you really get in the heads of your, your customer and you say like, all right, what's going on in their world? What is changing? Like the pandemic has been a really easy one, right? Because that's, it's a global phenomenon and it affects everybody. Um, and it's affecting everybody in a massive way, especially in business. So you as a business, you know, if you're thinking about your target audience, it's like, how has that pandemic affected my people, my audience? And what are the things that, how can I help them adapt to that change? Like Zoom is a great example. Like Zoom, pandemic comes along, nobody can work in their office anymore. Zoom, amazing video conferencing solution. Zoom is helping businesses adapt to that change by making video conferencing really easy and allowing people to still work in an awesome awesome way, right? So, and their stock is like through the roof. It's crazy. Um, So Zoom has done a really good job of helping people adapt to that change. And I think that if you think about it that way, then you really start to like understand the first couple of steps in narrative design and really start to um, have a better view on the, on the, that like outside in view. Yeah. Well, I mean, we're, let's, let's learn about narrative designs. We've talked a lot about it. We've, we've talked yeah. about the benefits of it, but I would love to walk through the narrative design. Um, where should we start? Do we want to start with like the narrative arc? Do we want to work, work our way through just the concepts of narrative design? Yeah, let's, uh, we don't have all the time in the world. So let me, um, can I share, can I share my screen and we can like yeah, look let's at do something it. Of tactical? Course. Visual aids right. are always super helpful. Let's do it here. Okay. Okay. So narrative design is really, you know, it's a, um, it's a simple but proven recipe for building a story that will capture attention, differentiate, help you grow revenue, right? It's what we're talking about. It's like, how do you do this? Uh, and these are the steps of the story. There's been a change in the world that you've identified. And then you're translating how that change, the impact that that change has had specifically on your audience then you're giving people the answer of how to adapt to that change, which is usually a new game. Then you say why it's so hard, and then you've introduced what you've built to help. There's a lot in this, um, you know, everything I talk about and write about, and I've got a master class with the PMA coming out that um, Product Marketing Alliance, which goes deep into like every single one of these steps and why they're important and how to think about them and how to develop them. But um, something new that I think is interesting is. Um, I laid all of these out in a narrative arc, right? So when you think about, I can, and I'll walk through them really quick if um, humor me and jump in if I'm taking too long, but every story, every story basically has like a two by two grid like this, right? There's like a start and there's a finish and then there's drama. So good things happen to the protagonist, bad things happen to the protagonist, right? This is every story. And usually uh, the 
the best stories in the world, all the stories that people love, especially in America, are the same way. There's this starts off with the status quo, something changes in the environment, a bunch of good, potentially a bunch of, a bunch of good stuff happen, a bunch of really bad stuff happen, and then it kind of comes out as like a happy ending. That's like every, it's like every Disney movie, right? Like Nemo, Nemo's dad, his wife dies, his his son who's disabled gets lost, things go to hell. And then, you know, there's this adventure and he finds his baby and then things are like good, right? Every Disney story is like that. Uh, and it's very similar in narrative design. So you can think about it this way. And it, I've laid out the steps in this arc, so you'll get it. It's the status quo, right? I think this is a good way to start a story. Um, you don't really need to include this when you're designing a narrative, when you're telling a story, but every story starts off with like the status quo and there's a change, there's a big change. You know, if we're, if I'm talking about Zoom as the example, right? It's like things were going along in business. People are having lots of meetings, boom, pandemic. It's, and you just focus on the change, right? And then the important part of this step is like, this is a big change. It's an undeniable change. This is a change in the world. This is a change in people, in human behavior. It has nothing to do with your business. It probably has nothing to do with your target audience. Um, and a lot of the problem, usually the problem here in this step is that people make this too specific to like their business or their audience or whatever. Not a good place to start. You want to start with this big undeniable change in the world. And then what happens in a story is that like, there's been a big change, you know, the, the like, um, Nemo and his dad are, you know, hanging out. Nemo gets lost, right? And that's very bad. Like things get bad right away. That's usually what happens in these stories. But in real life, there's like a spectrum of outcomes. The pandemic, uh, from a lot of businesses, like in, you know, in restaurant or um, retail or hospitality, things got really, really bad. But there's also sort of like winners that came out of this, like e-learning or delivery services, right? So there's this spectrum of outcomes. Um, but what your job is as the storyteller is to translate this, the impact of this change. So it's like, hey, there's been a massive change in the world. I'm, gonna, I'm not going to tell you about the entire spectrum. I'm just going to tell you about the impact this change is having on the uh, specific audience, who's winning, who's losing, right? You know, so if it's, the, how has the pandemic affected teachers? Like what, what um, educational institutions are having a hard time? Who's really... Uh, winning, who's losing, and then give me like specific examples about all of these things. Mm -hmm. The third thing you do is you unpack the changes of the winner, right? Like, tell me about these winners. What are they doing? So the, the people who there's been a big change in the world, it's having this massive impact. The winners, like, what are they doing that the losers aren't? I want three steps and I want to understand this because usually we have some idea of how people are adapting to a change. Um, but when you codify it and put uh, a name behind it and you call it something like inbound marketing or conversational marketing or customer success and say, these are the three steps that you do, you know, the attract, the engage, delight or whatever, um, it becomes this thing. And that's what, that's what inbound marketing is. It's a new game. It's a thing that HubSpot created when they were founded to stand out from just marketing automation. Um, but it also helps people adapt to a change in the world. So this is a great, so this is nice, right? There's been a change in the world. We've unpacked the winners. We introduced this new game. Um, but there's not enough drama in this story. And so once you get to step three, then you throw people back down into the, you know, the anguish of drama, right? And essentially you say like, but this is really, really hard. 
and we understand why. Like you can't play the new game you want to, but you don't have the resources. You have to buy all these separate tools. You have to convince your boss that it's important. You have to um, learn how to do it. You have to like all of these reasons why it's hard, because if it was easy, everybody would just do it. There wouldn't be this spectrum. You know, everybody would just mm -hmm. be a winner. There's all these reasons why it's challenging and you dig into those. And when you do that and how, and how you understand this is you're talking to customers, right? Cause they will tell you exactly why it's so hard and you right. dig into this and dig into this and it builds empathy with your audience because then all of a sudden you're on their side, you're in it with them. You understand their pain. And the thing that you've built is essentially what's going to help them play this new game, right? Because uh, you're helping, you're a company, you're going to help people adapt to this change. And may, you don't do everything. Like, you know, inbound marketing was this uh, entire, you could play the game inbound marketing without buying HubSpot, you could do it. But HubSpot solves for all of these issues about why it's so hard. Um, so those are the five steps laid out in a narrative arc with a little context. Nice. This is so, uh, what I also think is so interesting too, is we, we think about where we started our conversation about people thinking from the inside, looking out, people start with the solution and then they work their way probably to step three, but I don't know that they even get themselves fully to step three to definitely not step two or step one. So this narrative arc is just starting like, let's start with the status quo from the outside looking in, and then we'll bring you into our solution. I love this. Um, where do you, I mean, where do you find folks get the, the, the most hung up in this process? Because I could easily see my own self spinning my wheels a bit more on deconstructing like step two, the impact of the change. And I could overcomplicate that so easily. Yeah, I mean, it's it's good to sort of overcomplicate it, right? I mean, it's good to, um, I forget the quote, but right, it's like, I wrote something long because I didn't have enough time to write something shorter. It's like, you go through the process and you you create a ton of, um, uh, of brainstorm notes. Like, you, you know, there's, I, it's, it's good to have it be big when you start and then you kind of whittle it down and you figure out how to make this story simple. Um, I mean, I think that the thing you just, the thing you said, first is usually the most typical, right? Everybody wants to talk about what they built. Like Simon Sinek, his whole start with why was innovative just because it's like, that's how, that's what makes you interesting, right? Just don't talk about the thing that you built. People still fall into that trap where they're like, hey, we are awesome. We are the best, whatever, you know, like, and um, people just immediately tune that out. You know, it's just like, it just bounces off their brains. Um, and so then what you can talk about, what people do the most of is that they talk about problem solution. And so you, you have a category of 30, 40 options and they're all saying like, hey, we know you've got this problem. You've got this problem and we solve it. We solve it better than anybody. And that's really not that much better than just saying like, hey, we're the best, whatever. Um, when you start it this way, you start it inside out and you start with this big change in the world and then you create this like, you create this impact, right? And you create this um, sense of urgency with step two, because, mm -hmm. you know, let's say you are, you know, a business, you're trying to figure out like how to gain a competitive advantage in the world. There's, you know, the pandemic rolls around and you're, you're hamstrung because you're operating a lot slower because you can't have meetings. 
you know, if you hear about all of these winners who have figured this out and they're doing this new thing with like, you know, virtual meetings and zoom, and it's really working for them, but you also hear about the losers, these companies that can't figure it out and they're losing months or maybe years of like innovation and progress because they just can't figure out how to operate in the pandemic. All of a sudden you're like, who like, like I'm interested, you know, humans are really, really dialed into change and how to adapt, how to adapt because, you know, that's, that's really like, you think about all of the companies that, um, couldn't figure it out. Like, you know, uh, uh, they just didn't adapt. And, you know, there's lots of examples in technology of companies that, um, failed to reinvent themselves and failed to adapt to change. And those are the ones that, you know, just go by the wayside and, and vice versa. So that one, there's, there's lots of mistakes that people make. I mean, usually they start with their solution. The other thing I see, the other, the thing I'll say that I see the most of is that people understand this. There's a lot, there's plenty of people now talking about narrative design. People understand how popular inbound marketing and conversational marketing is and whatever. And so they jump right to step three. So they say, mm -hmm. all right, we're starting a new company. We're not going to be the, you know, we're not going to be just another entry into the category. We're going to be unique because we do X, X, you know, it's a two word thing, but there's no substance to it. There's no meat to it. They can't tell this right. story. They can only say, we do this new cool thing. And then you're like, what is that? And there's, there's just nothing to it. Whereas mm -hmm. like inbound marketing HubSpot, like there is, you can take, you could spend months, like learning all of the content that's in the HubSpot Academy that walks you through there, There's so much there. Um, yeah. and so that's the, that's the biggest thing. I think everybody wants to create a new game. Nobody wants to put in the effort to like, make it meaningful. Yeah. I love it. I think one of the things too, as a follow-up book, perhaps some, somewhere along the way of follow-up teaching is like the, the science and art of FOMO. Um, because I think once you teach people how to drive that, you, you called it urgency, but I think FOMO is also an important part of part, step mm -hmm. two, where you're actually building up the use case, like the, the demand in this concept by saying like, well, you don't want to be in the loser bracket. You definitely want to be in the winner bracket. And here is how we're going to help you adapt so that you get yourself into that, that winner, you know, ring. But the problem yeah. is that, that folks, if they don't want to put in that work, they just don't understand how important driving that sense of urgency, driving the FOMO in their target audience is. So yeah. we can co-author that if you want to. <laughs> <laughs> let's do it let's do it uh totally FOMO is great um and people love these new games you know it's like you in it but if you have a new game that isn't interesting or isn't meaningful or doesn't actually isn't rooted in like a change it's like people are just gonna you know they're they're gonna be turned off immediately of the idea um but yeah people love new games you know if you come up with like narrative design is a new game I use I created the 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 name of the game and I created the whole process using the process. And so people, mm -hmm. I could just say like, Hey, I've got a new storytelling framework I'm going to tell you about. And people are like, Oh, you know, they roll their eyes. But if I'm like, Hey, I want to tell you about narrative design. People are like, Hmm, what's that? And yeah. um, it's FOMO, you know, people don't want to miss out on the next big thing. Absolutely. Especially marketers. Guilty yeah. is charged. Like we Absolutely. love our shiny objects. We love Same. the latest and greatest silver bullet. Um, so when you can figure out how to harness the power of the FOMO and turn that into your driving force to, you know, really build the momentum and the story arc of your narrative arc for narrative design, like that's, that's the hook. That's the key. Okay. So I get all these five steps. I get like in surface level, it is, I, I'm, I'm in there. Like, 
where do I start? Do I get like my sales team and my product team all in a room and do this? Do I just go off on my own on like a two day, like, you know, me treat and I write it all down? Like, where, where do I start? Yeah, so I think I think the best place to start is to there's there's a couple of things. It's really important to have a framework, right? So um, I think that's why I spent a lot of time working on this, and like it, it helped me too because, like I was saying earlier, like you can have an amazing story, you can be a good storyteller, but unless people understand what it is that you're trying to do it's really hard to sell this stuff internally, right? So like I've made the mistake before where I spend a lot of time working on a narrative in too much of a bubble and I take it to like, you know, the executive team or whoever's seeing this for the first time and it just gets picked apart. And it's not because it's bad. I mean, maybe parts of it are bad, right? Um, but it's really just because people aren't on the same page about like what you're trying to do. So having some sort of like, I think it's important to pitch the process before you run people through it right so like let's i'm a small company i'm the cmo or whatever i'm the um you know the the head of product marketing uh i need to convince my cmo that this is an important storytelling device and then we need to convince the ceo and then we all need to get in a group uh, a room and work on it right so in in 100 having product and uh sales involved too you want to kind of build a core team um but really this starts to become like company strategy and like company vision. So you, it's really, really important to have the, the CEO bought into this. Um, and likely they'll be able to, um, they, they know a lot of the answers. You know, you're talking, you talk, I've talked to CEOs about this process and they're instantly like, yep, here's the change in the world. And I'm like, yeah, like, boom, that's because they, you know, they know it, they live it, right? It's just like, they've had all these things in their head. They're just all over the place. So they're kind of, you know, bringing it together. Um, right. But that's one. It's good to align and agree that like, this is a thing that we want to do. Um, mm -hmm. It's going to take this much time and calories and effort, and we're going to turn it into, you know, something interesting. Uh, and here's what it's going to look like where, you know, we've got these five steps. We're going to walk through it. I've got a deck for pitching the process, which is what we're looking at. Um, so it's good to align on the process. And then it's really, you know, I think from there, from there, you need to, you can do two things. Uh, I think the like positioning work, which product marketers do is really foundational to this, right? Like mm -hmm. if you don't have an, if you don't have a good enough understanding of your audience and you know, their challenges, the alternatives that they use, like why they're interested in your, if you don't know enough about your space or your product, you can't, you can't run, you can't build a good narrative here. Right. So that's really foundational. If it's a small company, if it's really young, all of that will just live inside the CEO's head. Um, so those are the two things. And then uh, from there, I think, you know, kicking it off and running through the five steps um, is, and in brainstorming this, I have, I'm trying to think of the steps in like a workshop that I have, but um, yeah, those are the two things I think you do before you try to get into this and, and start to figure out the five elements of, of your narrative. Got it. We mentioned workshop. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask, like if this was just the cliff notes version of narrative yeah. design, but if someone wants to deep dive with you, do their thesis, their masters on narrative design, where can they find you? Where can they find resources? Can they join you on a workshop? What, where, where can they jump in? Yeah. So I've done some workshops and they're, and they're fun and they're interesting, but, um, they, they took up, they just take up too much of, of my time and individually, it's not something I have a, a ton of appetite. So for, so 
and I'm just more of a like writer and creator. Um, but I've, I've been working with the Product Marketing Alliance on a masterclass, which is like a three or four hour class. Um, and we got it all professionally done, um, shot and edited. And I spent a ton of time on it. Um, months and months, really a lot of uh, 2020 and in 2019 too, um, just writing and thinking about this and getting it down on paper. Um, so that's the best resource. You know, I've also got some good stuff that's, um, live now, but, um, I will, I don't know if there's like show notes or whatever, but I can put in a link. I can give you the link, uh, okay. and you can check it out. And the masterclass I think is really like this culmination of everything. So if you are a director of product marketing, if you are, a you know, a C stage seed stage company, if you're just a product marketer trying to learn this stuff to like stand out, to like uplevel your skills, that class is what I recommend. Um, but definitely also, you know, connect with me on LinkedIn. I think that's another great way to just um, connect with me on LinkedIn and message me. And like, I love talking to product marketers, people who care about narrative. That is phenomenal. Marcus, thank you so, so much for sharing with us. Like, it sounds like your first baby was may have been narrative design. And then you also had Emmett too. But thank you so much for sharing all of your super, super great insights. Like Marcus said, reach out to him on LinkedIn. I know firsthand his content is one of my favorite content to ingest on LinkedIn. He's also super personable, as you can see, and just a really all around killer guy. So thank you so much for your time and for joining me on an episode of Office Hours. Thanks, MK. This was really fun.